Welcome to the Red Shirts Dynasty Podcast, a Ball Blast football production. Here are your hosts, Matthew Betts, Matt Okada, and John Helmkamp. Welcome back in to the Red Shirts Dynasty Podcast, a Ball Blast football production. Welcome in. It is Matthew Betts. It is Matt Okada. And unfortunately, on tonight's show, there is no John Helmkamp. He had some car trouble, was traveling back home and couldn't make it. But in traveling, he was able to meet up in person, face to face with the one, the only Matt Okada. And I was not there, and I was crushed inside. Literally, tears came out Saturday night. Um, major FOMO. Just missed out <laughs> on the the red shirts meetup officially. But Okada, you and John finally got to meet in person. How was it? Yeah, it was as glorious as could possibly be imagined. Um, John was about exactly as I expected. Maybe like an inch or two shorter than I expected. Um, I don't. I don't think I said that to him. So hopefully, he doesn't listen to this podcast. <laughs> I hope he does. <laughs> um, but otherwise, it was really great. We got, uh, slammed back a couple beers. Had some quality whiskey that he had discovered that was very interesting and flavorful. I forget what it's called. It was called Cold Cock Whiskey from San Diego. If you guys uh, want to look it up, I don't know if you can. Any of you can acquire it. But if you like whiskey, it was very interesting. Anyways, complete sidetrack. Not a sponsor. True, yet. Uh, but otherwise, it was really great. We talked football and everything else that can be talked and didn't miss bets at all because we were just enjoying each other's company so much. You know the uh, Michael Scott uh, gif, I am dead inside? Yes. That's literally how I felt all Saturday night while you guys were together. <laughs> uh, but hey, the Red Shirts meetup and now Ball Blast meetup with Kate Michelle will happen very soon. Mm. Um, very, very soon. Yeah, people that are listening, like they might not know this. We have never met in person, Okada and myself. No. We've been doing this podcast for now three years. Mm-hmm. Never met in person. John comes on the show, shows up in January, and all of a sudden he's like, hey, Okada, you want to hang out? Meanwhile, I'm on the East Coast, very salty, very upset. Um, no, it's fine. I'm I'm fine. I'm totally fine. Not upset. I can tell. Um, but, <laughs> man, we're back on the mic. It's good to talk football. We have a lot to get into tonight, actually. We're going to talk, uh, of course, Dynasty. We are talking the 2019 rookie class versus the 2020 rookie class. One of my favorite exercises to do uh, as the season begins, because we talked about on our last episode, which was a great intro to Dynasty. So maybe you're finding us as like a redraft show and you're like, I'm not really sure how to play Dynasty or what it is or how to value these rookies. Um, this show is going to help. But then also go back. We gave back, gave our like top, I don't know, 20 tips for Dynasty players and how to succeed in Dynasty. So if, if you're new to it, check it out. It will definitely help you out uh, a ton. Okada, before we get into the content of tonight's show, a reminder to everyone, find us on the web, ballblastfootball.com. Check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash ballblast. Um, man, lots of content going up. Projections, potentially, if you're listening to this on your podcast app, are already on the site. They are coming very, very soon. Rankings are there for redraft if you're looking for that. I have some sports betting content up there. And recently, my do not draft list for injuries came out uh, yesterday. So check mm. that out. Very, very interesting name at the very top of the list. Yikes. Which we cannot talk about. I want to tease it and okay. let the people go check it out at Patreon. Uh, before we get into the content, again, a reminder, we are on social media at Pod, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Find us there. All right, man, let's get into a little bit of news. I got great news, guys. Oh, oh, news. Hey, news, 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 news
The year is 2020. Things continue to get very weird. There is no preseason. The uh. NFL and the NFL PA have agreed zero preseason games, which originally started obviously at four, as it always does. Then it was dropped to two. Potentially there was talks of one. Now zero. Okada. What are we doing with with rookies, with free agents, with team uh, players that were traded to different teams in redraft leagues? Because I feel like I don't even know. Has there ever been a season where there hasn't been a preseason at all? Uh, I since it was instituted, and I can't remember when that was. I want to say it was the 70s. Probably should have figured that out. But I want to say no that there has not been a complete disappearance of it. Yeah, here's the thing. We've talked all offseason about how it's going to be harder for new players to new teams um, to acclimate and get involved in this world of COVID. Mostly it was because just training camp, we expected to be a little bit less than it usually is. And we expected maybe a reduced preseason. Now we're looking at days away or when you're listening to this, potentially supposedly rookies are already supposed to have reported. I don't know what's going on. There has not been any final talk uh, or or uh, they've released some um, guidelines, but I, I, they are not where baseball and basketball and hockey are at. And we've had a lot more time to figure it out. So I don't know exactly what's going on with football, but I do know now that there's no preseason games and that's not good for these new players. So rookies, free agents that got signed, it's going to be, I'm going to be bumping them all down a little bit in my expectations because it, it, like training camp is very important to try to figure out, you know, who's going to win that battle to be the RB2 in certain situations, who's going to win the quarterback battle. But preseason games is a whole nother level of importance because that's when you get to see your players that are new actually on a football field and see how your offense gels and runs with certain personnel on the field. So you know, in, in situations like the Chargers, where you want to see Justin Herbert and how he commands an offense against an NFL defense, now you're not going to get to see that at all. And that is a that is a time when typically we see a, a rookie or a new player make their stand and earn their job. That's not going to happen now. It's going to be tough to evaluate those players and it's going to be tough to buy into those players as much as we would have. Yeah, man. I mean, on the surface, it's kind of embarrassing like to even think about the NFL being such an entity that it is and having so much time to be like, oh, our season hasn't started yet. Let's put several plans in place and figure this out. And just this past weekend, like all the players coming out publicly saying, like, I'm not playing without, you know, protection in place and protocols in place. And I hope a season happens. But man, it's just so frustrating to see this from the NFL. They dropped the ball. Uh, no doubt about that. But to speak to uh, redraft leagues, yes, I am very worried about these rookies. Like I just tweeted this out um, before we started recording, looking at like rookie running back positions too. Like we talked all all off season about like when is Jonathan Taylor going to come in and take the job from Marlon Mack? When is DeAndre Swift going to push Carryon Johnson, Cam Akers, etc. With the Rams, like potentially those veterans are now a value, especially if you're playing best ball drafts. And those are going on right now. If you're in a best ball league, those players are a huge value in like round eight, nine, 10, 11, and they might have the job for longer than you think just because of no preseason and what even is training camp. So yeah, a good way to kind of get ahead of competition there on that. But interesting to say the least, you know what else it is too? You like, you look at these preseason games and it just tells you so much about veterans trusting rookies. The biggest example I can think of 
who the heck does Tom Brady trust protecting him in that backfield? Mm. We're going to have no clue except for training camp practices and beat reporters telling us what's happening there. So, yes, this is massive. This is going to be a huge uh, August for everyone to kind of figure out what is going on. I am so intrigued to see what happens. It's unreal. All right, man. Next piece of news, and I don't even know if this is news. Antonio Brown with a very cryptic oh, series of tweets. Uh, for the third time, he is now retiring, uh, quote-unquote, uh, from the NFL. He has told us multiple times via social media he's done with football. He has told us multiple times he's done with the NFL. He has said it yet again today on Monday, July 20th. Um, your reaction in general, you do buy it? Does it matter? Do we care? What are your thoughts? Here is the level of Antonio Brown news bets that I would need to actually care. We have not only signed Antonio Brown, but he is starting this Sunday. That is the level of news I would need. If somebody signed Antonio Brown, I still wouldn't care because I don't believe that necessarily he's going to be playing if a team signs him up for, for whatever reason. So looming investigations into past things, suspension possibilities. Is he going to wear whatever helmet they come up with for this year? I don't freaking know, man. I mean, we saw the Seahawks even uh, who has been one of the main teams interested in Antonio Brown, signed Josh Gordon last year, and how much did Josh Gordon play for that team before he was gone again? I I, I mean, listen, Antonio Brown's not technically Josh Gordon, but at this point, I'm pretty much lumping him into that category. Unless I hear a team say on Thursday, hey, Antonio Brown is starting for us on Sunday, I do not care. I do not give a diddly squat. I don't believe he's retired. I think if some <laughs> team actually does come out and say they're going to sign him, he will say, okay, I will want to play. So, no, I don't believe yep. it. I don't care. Antonio, you're tripping in every way possible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, get it out of my face. Hey, fair enough. Um, this situation, to me, just solidifies that DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are absolutely going to smash their ADPs. I mean, there was maybe some little bit of hesitation out there amongst the community of like, oh, what if they sign Antonio Brown? Will that change? Who gets a target um, reduction? This, to me, is like, those two to the moon, man. And I put this out for our patrons who are into the sports betting tier on Patreon. DK Metcalf over receiving yards. Hammer, hammer, hammer. Mm. I'm all in on that this season. It is a very tasty line. Check that out at Patreon for more details there. All right, man. Let's get into the content for tonight's show. We are talking 2019 versus 2020 rookies. Now, when we say we're talking these these players, we're going to do a comparison. So player A versus player B. A face player off, A is will. from the... Exactly. It's from the 2019 class. Player B is from the 2020 class. And I think this is a good exercise to show us where we value these guys in our rookie rankings right now, as well as dynasty rankings overall, which are coming to ballblastfootball.com very soon. We're going to start at the quarterback position. We're going to start with your boy, Ooh. Kyler Murray. Last year's quarterback seven in redraft leagues was outstanding versus Joe Burrow. Rookie mm. quarterback goes 1.01 in the NFL draft to the Bengals. We just talked about the worry um, with the offseason in general. I think I know your answer. If you are in a dynasty league, who are you taking here? Kyler Murray or Joe Burrow and why? Yeah, so just for the perspective of listeners, we're basically saying right now, who would we rather have? We're not like rating each guy as a prospect when they came in. We're saying you're in a dynasty startup or you're you're given a trade situation. Which side are you taking? Listen, you all know I'm the hugest Kyler Murray fan on the planet, but I'm not just going to out and say Kyler Murray and leave you all hanging with the, the goodies. Because here's the thing. Joe Burrow is 
a incredible prospect could certainly be argued from just a college prospect standpoint that he is above where Kyler Murray was at. Um, that being said, I am not as high on Joe Burrow as the majority of the world is. He's not even my favorite quarterback in this draft. Spoiler alert to the next guys we're going to talk about. He, I still think he's going to be good. I think he's going to be very solid. I don't think he's going to be necessarily Andrew Luck, like a lot of people are saying he's the best prospect since Andrew Luck. It's going to take a lot for him to get to that level, especially for fantasy, because Andrew Luck was great for fantasy. I, I don't think he's, I don't think he's quite going to get there, but he certainly could. He has that upside. That being said, Kyler Murray is in a better offense, I believe, with a coach that I trust a little bit more. Not a ton more because they're both second-year guys, uh, Cliff Kingsbury versus Zach Taylor. But I like more what I saw from Kingsbury and the Cardinals last year than what I saw from Taylor and the Bengals. I trust the Cardinals organization more. This is something that we talk about sometimes with Dynasty Bets that I don't think it's talked about too often. And it's trusting an organization because organizations on the whole tend to be sometimes especially good for players or especially bad for players. If you're going to try to play for the Chargers, it's going to be a hot mess. It is a poorly run organization that doesn't like to pay their players <laughs> and can't keep their players healthy either. Um, but the Cardinals is a place that I like. The Bengals, the complete opposite. They are one of those organizations that are utter crap. They have been for years. The coach <laughs> hirings are crap. The player management is, is bad. Yeah, it's all bad. I like their weapons. They've got good guys. I like Tyler Boyd. We'll see what happens with A.J. Green. Joe Mixon's a great young running back. But I, but Kyler also has DeAndre Hopkins, which is enough to cover any lack of anything else. So all that being said, it is, I think, a little bit closer than my initial knee jerk, but it still goes to Kyler Murray by a decent sum. Give me Kyler. I think we just lost uh, 1% of our, our fan base and our listenership with mm. you just absolutely crapping all over the back. Sorry, Bengals fans. <laughs> Listen, you but know how true. bad you it's are true. based off how many playoff wins you have over the last <laughs> decade. Okay. Oh, my God. Um, sorry, everyone. Uh, yes, I'm with you, though, in what you're saying in regards to Kyler. Listen, he's done it. We've seen it in the NFL. They are building around him in a massive way. We haven't seen Joe Burrow on a field. And while that's never really a solidified answer that you always want to take, like I just said, we're talking dynasty and we're talking about value. That matters specifically for right now. Joe Burrow is going to a situation where he's going to have no preseason, no preparation really with his starters on an NFL field before playing a game with a bad offensive line against very, very good defenses. So if you're telling me in a dynasty league, if I can have one of these two guys, it's Kyler by a landslide. I think Joe Burrow is going to get off to a slower start than he would have if we would have preseason games. And so for that reason, you look at their value, Joe Burrow's value come September, October, November is going to be well below Kyler Murray's for a very long time. And so for that reason, I would definitely take Kyler, uh, no doubt about it. Next quarterback pairing on the list here, Daniel Jones, someone that I've been rising on quite a bit against your quarterback one in this class to mm -hmm. a Tonga Bailoa. Who are you taking? Oh, this one is a little bit tougher because of what you just kind of touched on with the proven prospect versus not. And that's another big factor that, that's going to show up a lot in, when we make these comparisons, because we want to talk about these new rookie prospects for what we think that they're going to be. So like Joe Burrow, people are talking about being the next Andrew Luck. At the very least, he's going to be a solid starting quarterback. We expect. However, everybody is prone to bust. Whereas with some of these rookies where we've seen them prove some stuff already, 
we already have a floor for them that's higher than complete bust. So I do not expect there's any chance that Daniel Jones is going to be Ryan Leaf. And if you're too young to understand that reference, just know <laughs> that he was expected to be as good as we all expect Joe Burrow to be, and he ended up being absolutely nothing. That could happen to Literally Joe Burrow. nothing. <laughs> yes. I don't expect it to happen to Joe Burrow, but it could. Now, Daniel Jones versus Tua is a tough one for me because from a prospect standpoint, I did not like Daniel Jones. We all thought he was one of the most overdrafted players of the entire 2019 draft. And Tua, I absolutely love. I just mentioned that Joe Burrow is not my number one quarterback. It's because Tua is. I think he's an incredible prospect. I think he has Drew Brees-like qualities. Not saying he's going to become the most productive quarterback of all time, but he has a very, very high floor and ceiling, in my opinion, in the long term for Dynasty. Obviously, this year is tough because he's coming off injury. We don't know much he's going to play this year. Put me up against a wall. And for Dynasty, I'm taking Tua. Now, if I'm in a win-now league or in a startup, that makes it a little tougher. If it's a trade situation and I'm in an average position, I'm going for Tua. If it's a startup, I usually like to play win-now. I think I'm probably still going Tua, but I'm getting another quarterback with a short-term, like a Ben Roethlisberger or something like that late in the draft to cover me. But just in a vacuum, I'm going to take Tua. The prospect, I like the prospect too much more than I liked Daniel Jones, even now after seeing Daniel Jones play well for a year, to take Daniel Jones over Tua. But you're a big Daniel fan, so I'm interested to hear your answer. Yeah, I love both these guys. And the same thing that you said about Tua, I agree with. He's my quarterback one in this rookie class because of the fact that I think his game is just more solidified as a prospect compared to what Daniel Jones was and is currently right now. I will say in, in fantasy, you know, the rushing upside matters so, so much. And that's why I'm going to take Daniel Jones in the situation because we've seen him do that. With Tua, obviously he's coming off of a major injury to his hip, one that I've talked about being a long-term concern. The way that you preserve that is not let him rush the ball 10 times a game and get hit more. So I think he adapts. I think he's very good. I think he's going to be excellent for our fantasy rosters. But I think Daniel Jones, because of that mobility, um, gives him the edge, in my opinion. But like I said, love Tua. I just think right now I would take Daniel Jones ahead of him in my ranks. It's also tough with these two teams because both of them are essentially weaponless, or at least we don't see any reliable weapons. And the coaching situations are fine. They don't necessarily instill great positivity or uh, trash. So I don't know, man. I like what the Dolphins are doing. I like it a lot. I don't hate what they're doing, but they have a ways to go before it's done. Oh, yes, definitely. So we have to but see they're that. Doing it the way, building up the defense, yes. building the line to protect Tua. Obviously, we like their young, uh, talented receivers and tight end, etc. Um, yeah, I like I like what the Dolphins are doing. We'll see. All right, man. On to the next quarterback matchup. The hype man of the 2020 offseason, Mr. Mm. Drew Locke himself. Or Justin Herbert. I know you are a big Herbert guy. I imagine that's where you're going to go. Am I correct? So, let me clarify about being a big Herbert guy. For redraft, I think that he has a chance to play this year and be good and support an offense and offensive players that are good for fantasy. That's an argument we've we've had many times on our podcast this offseason. I don't necessarily love Justin Herbert as a prospect any more or less than the average guy. I do like him more than I liked Drew Locke. And 
I don't think I've seen enough from Drew Locke to bump him up much higher than I thought he was. And more importantly, just from a draft pick perspective, and this is actually a conversation we had in our Patreon uh, maybe a week ago, and this exact question was brought up. Drew Locke was picked 36 behind, 36 picks behind where Herbert was picked. 42nd overall, Herbert was 6th overall. If nothing else, that tells me that the Chargers are 100% set. This is their guy. They're going to make it work. They're going to put in the effort to make Herbert their franchise quarterback. If not, you know, week one of this year, potentially sometime this year, certainly by 2021. Like we saw with Mahomes. Maybe he said to year. That's fine. Drew Locke picked in the second round by a team that has been cycling through quarterbacks. Had some flashes, minor flashes in 2019, but not enough to prove anything to me. So from a draft capital standpoint, from a prospect standpoint where Herbert gets a little bit of an edge for me, not a huge one, but enough of one. And then importantly, from a team standpoint, weapon-wise. From an organization standpoint, I don't like either because, like I said, we've seen the Broncos cycling quarterbacks for years now. Ever since Peyton went to the crapper, unfortunately, sorry, Peyton, we've seen it's been one of the worst carousels of quarterbacks in the entire NFL. Elway cannot figure out what to do there. No, uh, not. On the other side, I just mentioned I don't like the Chargers, Chargers organization in general. However, for right now, from a weapons standpoint, I really like what Sa- uh, San Diego, Los Angeles has with. Uh, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler out of the backfield. It's great. The Broncos are trying to get there. They drafted a lot of good guys in this draft class, and they had Corlton Sutton. They signed Melvin Gordon. They're making the right moves, but I don't like their cast quite as much for the next couple years. So it's Herbert by a little bit for me. Probably, Probably less close than the last one, which was super close to a versus DJ but closer for sure than Kyler versus Burrow. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to lean Herbert on this one as well. And, and the main point I was going to you know, discuss, if you didn't, was just draft capital, right? Taking the top 10 in the NFL draft, obviously these you know professionals are literally paid to scout quarterbacks, and, and they know that better than us. And the weapons is just all people talk about with the Broncos. But like you said, the Chargers, man, their weapons are as good, if not better, and I think they're better right now. Um, also shout out to Mike Williams. I will never let that love die. But in reality, I'm not really in on the Chargers this year because of the concerns about the quarterback play. Long term, I'm fine with Justin Herbert. I think there's going to be a lot of growing pains this year. But next year, yeah, I'm definitely interested. Same kind of with Drew Locke. But I just think the offense is better set up to succeed sooner than later in L.A., the Broncos have major question marks. Now, just out of curiosity, you took the veteran in the DJ versus Tua and the rookie in Herbert versus Locke. If it was DJ versus Herbert or Locke versus Tua, would you change your mind on either? Would I change my mind on DJ versus Justin Herbert? Yes. Would you switch to I Herbert? Would take da- I would take Daniel Jones. Okay, so no switch. And if it was Locke versus Tua, would you stick with Tua? Or no, would you? 100%. S- well, you picked, did you pick? Yes. Okay. Good. <laughs> Got it. Yes, like literally 100 out of 100 You would times, switch yes. to the rookie. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think we're uh, mostly in agreement on those. On to the running back position. Oh, I'm sorry. We missed one more. Let's be quick with this one. Yeah. Dwayne Haskins versus Jordan Love. Two unproven guys taken first round. What are you going to do? Yeah, this one's a little tough 
But I'm just going to take Dwayne Haskins because I know he has the shot at the job right out of the gate, and I don't know when Aaron Rodgers is going to relinquish the Packers position. I think it might happen. I think that we're going to potentially look at a Brett Farving uh, in the near future with Rodgers getting farved, whereas previously he did the farving. Um, <laughs> and so I expect Jordan Love might be the guy you at some farved, point. bro. Yeah, but Haskins <laughs> has the job already. And Love might take three years to get it. I'm not willing to look that far in advance right now. So give me Haskins. Yep, I agree. I'm with you there. Uh, he also has one wide receiver that we'll talk about here in a bit that we absolutely Ooh. love. Okay, man, let's go to the running backs. I wish John was here. I wish we could talk about it with John because I know <clears> he likes both these guys, but he loves one of them. It is Josh Jacobs versus Jonathan Taylor. Now, I'm going to start this one off because this one was the one that I was so curious to talk about. I honestly went back and forth three times before we were on the show tonight, and I'm going with Jonathan Taylor. Now, I love Josh Jacobs, but for me, Jonathan Taylor's upside of what he could be in that offense with that offensive line, with the run-heavy scheme, to me, is massive. I mean, I'm talking like rushing leader multiple times in his career in the NFL. And while Josh Jacobs certainly has similar ceiling, the floor to me for Josh Jacobs is low because of the fact that I don't know if that offense is really going to improve much in the next year or two. And is Derek Carr the starter there? I'm not sure, but I know this offense is built around Jonathan Taylor. I know he's going to be a workhorse back. And man, he is so freaking good at carrying the football. I think he's going to be fantastic for our rosters. Uh, What say you? Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, They're kind of similar backs from a fantasy outlook perspective in the sense that I don't expect either to be a, you know, 70 catch guy. And even threaten the Camara, Barkley, CMC kind of tier, unless they break out into those catch uh, or catch or target numbers. And from what we know of right now, I don't really expect them to do that. They may be more in the Derrick Henry mold or the early Zeke mold, unless we see one of them break out. Which I do think, by the way, Josh Jacobs certainly has the talent to do that. Maybe even more than Jonathan Taylor as a pass catcher. Here's what it boils down to for me. I liked both as prospects. Jonathan Taylor, the, what's interesting, and by the way, in the in a difference standpoint, is a, is from a college production standpoint, these guys are complete opposites. Because Jacobs came yes. in and got drafted off of tape. He was an explosive guy, but he never really even got the job there. Um, whereas Jonathan Taylor is the most productive running back ever, pretty much. Disgusting amounts of production at Wisconsin. I like Jonathan Taylor a little bit more as an overall prospect, and I like the team situation more. You mentioned the offensive line, the Colts offense, the quarterback situation is a little bit, and eh, I don't know what it's going to be like in a couple years, but I don't even necessarily know on the Raiders side what it's going to be like in a couple years, and it's pretty much eh, right now with Derek Carr. So all of those things lean me towards Jonathan Taylor. I am tempted to to slide back towards Josh Jacobs anyways because of what I talked about earlier with the bus factor. We've already seen Josh Jacobs be great, RB1 level player. There's a chance Jonathan Taylor doesn't translate to the NFL. It's a very small chance, but there is a chance. That's not enough for me. It's I'm sticking with Jonathan Taylor. I'm confident enough based off the production we saw in college that he's going to be good. He's not going to be a bust. And based off what we've seen as from a prospect standpoint, from a production standpoint, and where they've landed, I'm taking Taylor on that Colts team where I think he can be a 1,400-yard rusher on a pretty frequent, frequent basis. Yeah. Um, hopefully we made you very proud, 
Johnny Poo. Um, yeah. He did. Hey, John, since we made you so proud, just give us a like on YouTube if you don't mind. That'd be True. awesome. Uh, loyal listener of the show, John Allencamp. Okay, on to the next running back pairing here. I tried to pair up running backs that were similar in profile, so hopefully that mm-hmm. came through. Miles Sanders versus Clyde Edwards-Elaire. Now, I will say for the listeners, Jonathan Taylor was our consensus, all three of us, rookie running back one in this 2020 class. CEH firmly entrenched as our uh, two in consensus. I don't know if you were quite there previously, but he was our two in consensus. Miles Sanders, though, man, it is in- intriguing to see what he could be in 2020. Out of these two backs, where are you going to go? This is probably the toughest one so far at any position that we've covered. Yep. I think these guys are pretty similar in talent. I think they both have very high pass catching upside, higher than the two guys we just talked about. I think they're both on offenses that can be quite good. Now, the Eagle situation is rough because right now they ain't got no wide receivers. They ain't got none. It's a hot mess out there. (laughs) Fortunately, they have two tight ends who kind of make up for it. And they have a quarterback that I trust. Obviously, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he's a quarterback I trust. Now, having said that, for now, I think that I am going to lean towards the Eagles in terms of relying on their running back. Because Kansas City has a $500 million quarterback and the best bevy of of pass catchers in the NFL right now, if not in recent memory. On the outside, with CH, it makes it even better. But on the outside, I'm I'm saying they are incredible. With Mahomes and that outside core, I expect them to want to throw. And I think they're going to do it. Andy Reid loves it. He loves having a good running back, too. And I think CH will be good. But that team is built to run on Mahomes' arm. The Eagles, not necessarily so much. They do not have enough on the outside to make me feel confident. Carson Wentz is great and solid, but he is not the take-over-the-game gunslinger that Mahomes is because almost nobody is. So I think that a little bit more onus falls on Miles Sanders to carry this offense. And just because of that, even though I like both players from a talent standpoint, I'm going to lean Miles Sanders because I think he gets a little bit more work over the next few years. My heart is very happy that you're saying that as an Eagles fan. I love it. Um, I'm actually going to go against my bias. I'm going to take Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Listen, it's as simple as this, man. I'm going to take the running back tied to Patrick Mahomes for the next four years, probably five years. It's that easy. He's the best pass catching back in the class. We've seen what Damian Williams, who, say what you want about the guy, is not an elite top tier round one NFL draft pick running back. He's good at what he does, but they took Clyde Edwards-Alaire to be the back of this team for the next four or five years. And for me, that's good enough in the best offense in football with Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes. So yes, I will take CEH. Um, different conversation in redraft, obviously, but in dynasty, yeah, I'll, I'll take Clyde Edwards Alaire. Okay, man, on to David Montgomery. What a bust last year, man. Just so average, like RB24. Yep. Like, what are you going to do? The advanced analytics showed it was not good. Against my pre NFL draft running back one in DeAndre Swift, he can do it all, but he enters the backfield with Carrion Johnson. Of these two backs, who are you taking? This is another tough one, not for the same reasons as Sanders for CEH. That one was tough because it was super exciting, and I was deciding which guy's going to be a top six running back sooner. This one is, which guy do I expect is going to not rank outside the top 30 most likely? Because that's pretty much what we're looking at here. I, I am not excited really about either of these guys right now. 
I think I'm going to lean towards Swift by a hair. I will say this. He has a lot more of a hill to climb to earn this pick. Because David Montgomery is going to be a guy who gets a lot of carries. They may, not, they may not be very valuable carries, as we saw last year. And he didn't make very much out of them. And that offense, I don't necessarily trust to be very good. But at least I know he's going to get the vast majority of carries. In Detroit, we've, we've A, not seen any running back be great there for a while. And B, don't even necessarily know that DeAndre Swift is going to be their guy. They just drafted Kerryon Johnson not that long ago with similar draft capital. He did, has not panned out yet, mostly because of injury. When he's been on the field, he's been great. So there's still a chance that DeAndre Swift has to battle for the job or be in a timeshare that is much closer than the timeshare Montgomery has to share with Tariq Cohen, which is more of a, this guy's going to be the third down back kind of timeshare. I think Swift has higher upside, though, by a long shot. I think that this Lions offense, I trust a little bit more. Matthew Stafford, I trust quite a bit more. And I think DeAndre Swift, I do love his talent like you did, can finally be the guy to help get the Lions running back situation out of the rut it's been in. So I think Montgomery probably has a better chance to be in the top 30 this year. But for Dynasty, I don't want a guy that that's what I'm going to say about them. I'd rather take the shot on a guy who I think can be an RB1 on a frequent basis. And to me, that's DeAndre Swift. I agree. Um, this is kind of the classic situation of like, do you trust volume and ignore talent or do you, are you betting on talent in dynasty which i usually prefer to do in redraft it's a completely different story you could give me i don't know mark ingram and i'm like yes i'm in give me all the volume and he's a good running back but he's old right it, it's different and so in, in dynasty i'm willing to say okay 2020 is probably not going to be fantastic for swift it's probably not going to win you your league but man the lions could they have drafted him any faster when they were on the clock at the very beginning of the second round i mean it was like boom as soon as they were on the clock the pick is in. It's DeAndre Swift. I think that tells you a lot about what they want to do. The draft capital is very good. Almost a first-round pick. Carry um, on Johnson, how I like him, has definitely struggled to stay on the field. And at some point in the NFL, I mean, your time, it just the door is open and then it's closed. And they took DeAndre Swift for a reason. I'm not convinced that they figured it out as far as how to get their running backs productive in the NFL. But I'm willing to find out with DeAndre Swift, who, like I said, was my pre-NFL draft one, um, Dave Montgomery, he'll get the volume, but for me, it's really about talent. DeAndre Swift is a much better running back, in my opinion. All right, man, on to our last one here. Devin Singletary versus Cam Akers. I'm going to take the lead on this one because I think you're a huge Cam Akers fan. Mm. Um, I'm also going to go Cam Akers. Oh! And the reason being, I am I could not be more out on Daryl Henderson. I just want to be as clear as possible in saying that. Um, we don't want to overreact to year one, but the guy literally could not do anything for this offense. Um, struggled to beat out Malcolm Brown. Struggled to learn the system uh, as a running back in the NFL. That just is not common, and I'm not really worried about that because of the fact that Cam Akers is coming in. I, I think he'll easily come in and take the job, whereas in Devin Singletary's shoes, they took Zach Moss for a reason. He'll have a role. Um, and while I like Singletary, to me, he's always going to be what he is, which is like RB20. Like Josh Allen taking goal line carries, him dominating in between the 20s probably, Zach Moss or someone else coming in to take goal line carries. I just don't think he has the touchdown upside to get there 
like Cam Akers does in this offense, as we've seen with Todd Gurley over the past couple of years. Yeah, so here's the thing. I actually really liked Devin Singletary coming in. I don't know if you remember our you conversations did. about I him. I remember that. Yeah, I distinctly remember talking about his touchdowns in college because it's it's a very predictive stat for running backs, how much they score. I just pulled it up again to remember because it's obscene. 66 rushing touchdowns in three years, including 32 as a sophomore and 22 as a junior. Disgusting. Is that good? Yes, it is. <laughs> it is quite good. And we saw it translate last year. He was very solid. He was a productive, efficient running back. He looked good. I really liked him. I had really high hopes for him coming into this year. Then they drafted Zach Moss. I'm not a huge fan of Zach Moss, but I do think he can be a goal line vulture. And that does reduce that touchdown upside for Devin Singletary that I really like, as does Josh Allen. So I think there are places that Singletary could be in the NFL where I would take him over Cam Akers. That being said, I also really like Cam Akers as a prospect. I think it's pretty similar for me. I'd probably give Cam Akers a slight edge, but it's not that much. But the situation is such a huge edge that I have to go Akers. I also do not believe in Daryl Henderson. I think he is... I don't believe in Zach Moss either, but I, I they're pretty much the same. Honestly, I, I see these guys pretty similarly. I, I don't think either is a, is a huge threat to take the vast majority of carries from the guy in front of them. And whoever gets the carries in that offense, the Rams offense, is going to have massive scoring upside and massive fantasy upside as a result. We saw it with Todd Gurley over the past few years. Yes, Todd Gurley is a very good running back, but he scored so much because of that offense. Sean McVay built an offense that got into the red zone super frequently and fed their running backs once they got there in the air and on the ground. And I expect that to continue with Akers. There's a little bit of a chance, a little bit of a chance that Akers does have to fight for the job more than Singletary does. But based on the fact that the prospects are similar and the offense of situation for the running back is so much better in L.A., I'm taking Cam Akers pretty confidently. Yeah, if you want to win a championship in fantasy, you've got to have touchdowns in your roster. That's that's the bottom line. That gets you there. It's hard to predict, but it gets you there. And when you get that championship, you got to go over to Trophy Smack, man. Ooh. Trophy Smack. Dot com is the place for all your fantasy football trophies, rings, belts, draft boards. If somehow you're having a draft in person with your family, maybe you got to get a draft board. They've got it at Trophy Smack. Check them out. They've got the best products, fully customizable year after year. We use their products. We support them um, and they've been great to us. So we're going to be good to them. Check out trophysmack.com. And when you go there, add the trophy to your cart, then go back add a championship ring. Use the code red shirts. You're going to get that ring for free. I love free things. So right. fancy. On to the wide receivers, man. We got a lot to talk about. We'll, we'll pick up the pace a little bit. Two speedsters, Marquise Brown versus Henry Ruggs. Who are you taking? All right. We've right. I've talked about a few different factors in deciding over the last couple positions. Now we are in a position where the main factor of things are close is going to be quarterback. If these prospects are both good, if they both have good opportunity as a wide to be the wide receiver one on their team, I'm going to look at their quarterback and I'm going to make the choice that way. That is 100% how I make the choice here. I like Marquise Brown. I like Henry Ruggs as prospects just fine for what they do. I don't necessarily think either is ever going to be a top six receiver in fantasy, but I think that both can be productive. One of them is tied to Lamar Jackson, and uh, I don't remember, if, I don't know if you saw the ESPN. Uh, tweet about uh, the offense's most set up to dominate 
for the next like three years, I think it was. The Ravens were number one, and the Chiefs were pretty high up there, and the 49ers were pretty high up there. Lamar Jackson, even if he's not the best passer, which he is a solid passer, just to be clear, but he is a quarterback who I know is going to be the entrenched quarterback for that team and is going to be productive and is going to run a great offense. For the Raiders, I have no idea what's going to happen there. I don't even know if Derek Carr might lose his job to Marcus Mariota this year. It's something that I legitimately think could happen. We've been talking about it in the Patreon Slack. So while I like Ruggs and Brown similarly, I am going to take Lamar in the Ravens offense nine times out of nine. Yes, 100% with you. Played with the Liz Frank injury last year. We know research supports that players in their second year after that, after that surgery perform way better than they do in their first year. Had the screw removed to take pain out of his foot. I'm actually rising quite a bit on Marquise Brown in redraft and dynasty leagues. Easy over Henry Ruggs. 10 times out of 10. I'm with you there. And real quick, you know, with the Raiders, like it's kind of egregious. Their win total last time I looked was like six and a half wins. They won every single game last year. By less than one score or one score or less, I should say, basically like that won't happen again. This defense is bad. Derek Carr is not going to win you games. I mean, that is that is easy money right there. Definitely. under. What do you think of the chance of a Mariota switch? That's what I was saying, too. There's a chance of a, a quarterback controversy like six games in when they're one and four, one and five, whatever their bye week is like. Yeah, I think it's possible. They paid him pretty good money to come in and challenge Derek Carr. So yeah. uh, we'll see. All right, man. Next grouping here, we love A.J. Brown on the show. We also love C.D. Lamb, wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys. Shockingly falls to 17 where they took him. Um, Give me your thoughts here. C.D. Lamb versus A.J. Brown. This is a really, really tough one because C.D. Lamb, from a prospect standpoint, I would have ranked above A.J. Brown from a prospect standpoint when he came in. Now... A.J. Brown showed out to be better even than what the people who liked him thought he could be, so he has now raised his stock a little bit. Then I look at the quarterback and offense situation that I just brought up with the Ravens versus the Raiders. I trust Dak and the Cowboys more than I trust Tannehill and the Titans. That's another point in CeeDee Lamb's category. That being said, for now, CeeDee Lamb has to deal with Amari Cooper on four years left of a contract that technically they could get out of soon, but I really don't expect them to based off what they just paid him before they even paid Dak. And he has to deal with Michael Gallup, who I think is an extremely good and undervalued wide receiver that could be a wide receiver one. A.J. Brown has to deal with diddly squat, the ghost of the bust of Corey Davis and Adam Humphreys. <laughs> Is what AJ Brown has to deal with. <laughs> so, <sighs> yeah, this is super you. tough, but it's AJ Brown. In a year or two, if you ask me this again, I could easily see my answer having changed. I think CeeDee Lamb is a beast of a wide receiver prospect who could just end up being the one on that team, even if Amari Cooper is there and command 130 target uh, load. But AJ Brown is a guy I expect to do that, and CeeDee Lamb is just a guy who could do that. So that's the difference for me. Yeah, I'm with you. And this kind of goes back to what we talked about at the top of the show with understanding dynasty and understanding value. Like I know for sure A.J. Brown is a more valuable dynasty asset right now and through the season than C.D. Lamb will be, barring injury and barring like an unforeseen breakout. But I love C.D. Lamb. He is easily my wide receiver one in this class. Um, I think he was for all of us. And it definitely is, I think, a top tier talent of, of what could be 
in Dallas uh, with Dak. So I love that situation, but I agree. I'm going AJ Brown, no competition for targets, extremely productive with the advanced analytics. We see it with pro football focuses, yards per route run metric dude led all rookies. He was top three in the NFL for qualified um, receivers and pass catchers. I think his ceiling is absolutely massive. I'm going AJ Brown here uh, for sure. Okay. Okada, take a breath. Oh, gosh. it is time. To talk about Terry McLaurin. Why did you have to put show? these back think, to back? I'm already riled up for the last one. <laughs> Okada sweating. Um, man, if you're not watching on YouTube, you got to <laughs> check that out. Terry McLaurin, our official wide receiver of the podcast, I think, at this yes, point. easily. Um, Okada wrote up a beautiful article on ballblastfootball.com about the ceiling of Terry McLaurin being a wide receiver one this year in, in fantasy football. Or are you taking Jerry Judy? I feel like I don't even need to talk about it for me. <laughs> this is so easy. It's Terry McLaurin. Um, quarterback concerns, yes. But he played with Dwayne Haskins. And we can't forget, Dwayne Haskins was actually pretty good down the stretch last year. I know it wasn't great. It wasn't elite. But we talked about the concerns with Drew Locke. We talked about the competition for targets. Terry McLaurin literally has no competition for targets and across from Jerry Judy is Cortland Sutton. Oh, and Noah Fan. Oh, and they brought in KJ Hamler. So, yeah, for me, this is Terry McLaurin. Easy. Yeah. The one nice thing about where you did put this one behind the duo we just talked about is that it's the exact same answer as the duo we just talked about for me. Jerry Judy yeah. liked him more as a prospect than I liked Terry McLaurin as a prospect. I actually think Jerry Judy is was basically in a tie with C.D. Lamb from a pure po- prospect standpoint. I couldn't rank the two before the draft. It was impossible for me. Uh, he's incredible. He's extremely talented. However, he has a much worse situation because there is all kinds of other receivers on that team that he is going to be battling with for the one spot, if he even has a chance to battle for the one spot, because Cortland Sutton probably has a stranglehold on it for at least this year. Meanwhile, Terry McLaurin's got diddly squat, even less than A.J. Brown has to deal with. You can't even name Terry McLaurin's second receiver because the second receiver is now gone, and it's the third receiver who's the second receiver. Yeah, it is a... It You're is referring a, to Kelvin Harmon tearing his ACL. Yes. If you could have even called Kelvin Harmon the second receiver, who knows who the second receiver would have been. Um, but yeah, t- the quarterback situations are pretty much uh, a wash here, more or less. I'm... I might lean Haskins by a hair, but they're both guys who we saw show up sort of late in the season last year and not do enough to convince me one way or the other. So in that sense, Jerry Judy even does lose a point versus the CD Lamb argument where you have Dak Prescott. So yeah, it's it's not super close here. It's Terry McLaurin. Even though I love Jerry Judy as a prospect, everything else that that we're taking into consideration here when we have to make these decisions leans Terry McLaurin for me. So smash that. Terry McLaurin, probably the guy on this entire list that I want the most. <laughs> Smash that, in the words of the great Matt Okada. Um, I'm going to skip the next one on the dock because I know that's a, kind of an easy discussion, I think, anyway. Mm. So let's save that one for the end. Agree. Let's talk Debo Samuel versus Justin Jefferson, LSU's super, super productive receiver last year. Dominated the slot in the SEC. Um, Stefan Diggs is gone. Justin Jefferson is in. Of those two guys, which player do you want? I'm glad this one is here because I was getting tired of picking veterans and I'm smashing the rookie on this one. Absolutely Justin Jefferson for me. Besides the fact that I liked him more as a prospect than I liked Debo as a prospect and his draft capital is better than Debo's was. Debo, I'm not even convinced, especially with the injury this year, is going to be the wide receiver one on that team. 
in the next couple years. Now, to be fair, Justin Jefferson has to deal with Adam Thielen for probably a couple years, so it may be somewhat similar. In fact, Debo may have a chance over the next year or two to have a few more targets, but I'm not even convinced of that because I don't think Adam Thielen is going to be a 170-target guy, and unless he is that, Justin Jefferson is going to get a hefty share of targets. We saw it with Thielen and Diggs. Diggs got enough targets to be very productive, and Jefferson is a great fit for Kirk Cousins. I love Kirk Cousins as a fantasy quarterback for his receivers, even if I don't love him as a fantasy quarterback for himself, because I know he's accurate and efficient and is going to support his guys and hit his receivers. Justin Jefferson is going to thrive in that system. I think he can be a 130, 140 target guy in a couple years. And I also think he's going to be the best rookie wide receiver out of the gate this year in redraft. Whereas Debo Samuel, I don't feel great about, even though he's a veteran. So this one's probably the easiest for me. I'm smashing Jeff Justin Jefferson, even as, even as the rookie. I'm not convinced that Debo, I'm not, I'm not drafting Debo really at his price or trading for him at his price, I don't think, right now. And that's partially because I love another guy we're going to talk about in one pick. Yes. Um, I'm with you. I'm going to take Justin Jefferson as well in this one. I feel like we're agreeing on everything, which is, sorry, listeners, kind of lame. Yeah, I think we have. Um, but we, <laughs> On the receivers. <laughs> we like, disagreed at the other positions a few times. Yes, but this is just like, it's so straightforward to me. I mean, Justin Jefferson, to me, can be so much more than what Debo Samuel can be. Yes. And I like Debo Samuel, so don't hear what I'm not saying. I will say at his price, I am buying Debo Samuel because people are very worried about this foot injury and... You know, it's this is the time to capitalize in dynasty leagues when redraft doesn't really matter as much. I think he does get off to a slow start from a redraft perspective, but in dynasty, he'll be fine coming off of the of the Jones fracture, especially in 2021 moving forward. No concerns. So yes, buy him in dynasty if you're interested. But for me, Justin Jefferson fits perfectly with what Kirk Cousins can can do. Like you said, super productive, just willing to go across the middle and earn those tough yards. And um, he excels in the short to intermediate, intermediate passing game. And that's what Kirk Cousins is. So yes, I'm taking Justin Jefferson here. He was my wide receiver three in the 2020 rookie class um, just a couple of months ago. And that stands true right now behind Judy and CeeDee Lamb. So yes, give me Justin Jefferson for sure. Okay, real quick. I, I want to keep the conversation short on this one because I feel like we know the answer. DK Metcalf versus T. Higgins. I I didn't really know who to put versus DK Metcalf because at this point there was kind of a tear break. I, I could have gone with Michael Pittman Jr. who we like um, or T. Higgins. But for me, either way, this is a smash DK Metcalf decision. We saw last year the, the route tree just get expanded immensely um, over the course of the second half of the year came out and kind of became this team's focal point along with Tyler Lockett, the concentrated targets there with Russ, it's Tyler Lockett, it's DK Metcalf, and it's just a bunch of other dudes on the field. Like to me, these two are going to smash this year and DK Metcalf ceiling. I mean, honestly is like top five wide receiver in the NFL with how athletic he is playing with Russell Wilson. To me, this is no question. Give me DK Metcalf. Yeah, I remember when we talked about the rookie, uh, we went through the rookie pods last year for the 2019 rookies, that I said, and I think we kind of agreed on this, that DK was either going to be a incredibly productive fantasy wide receiver or a complete bust. That there was no in-between that he would hang out and just be sort of an average wide receiver three guy. From what we saw last year, there's no question in my mind that he's on track to be the former and not the latter. Because he didn't bust as a rookie he was great as a rookie, and it's only going to get better as he learns the game more. 
it would take a stud prospect up against DK for me to pick the rookie this year. And T. Higgins is not that. I like him. He's fine. I I will draft him in rookie drafts for sure. But I'm not going to take him over DK Metcalf by a long shot. Sorry, T. Yeah, posted 900 yards receiving last year. Um, like we said, as a rookie. And to be honest, was kind of a raw prospect. So to do that Very. and learn the system so rapidly with Russell Wilson, to me, just says the ceiling is immense. Yes, give me DK. Okay, last receiver here. Deontay Johnson, everyone's favorite darling here in Dynasty for the 2020 yep. season. Uh, coming back with Big Ben versus Brandon Ayuk. Now, I know you're a huge Ayuk fan. Why don't you tell the people why and then give me your decision? Yeah, so this one's pretty interesting because Deontay Johnson did show a lot as a rookie. He led all rookies in receptions last year. He is on what I believe is a good offense because last year was a complete crapshoot that we should not attribute this year's offense to with Ben gone the quarterback situation there was horrible that is not what I expect I expect them to be a good offense I know Big Ben is a good quarterback that can support wide receivers I like Deontay Johnson not as much as the general public that is freaking out about him but I like him quite a bit however I love Brandon Ayuk as a prospect <laughs> if you want the full breakdown you can go watch my YouTube video uh on the Red Shirts YouTube channel which you are on right now if you're on the YouTube watching this episode so you've got done half the work already uh but I love him as a prospect I think he's going to be extremely productive he can do pretty much everything but the most the the, the strongest danger he brings is yards after the catch he is a absolute monstrosity with the ball in his hands Give him space. His speed and his breakaway talent is incredible. And that is a perfect fit for San Francisco. When I saw this draft pick, I jumped out of my seat and did a twirl on stage at the NFL Network. I think. I honestly don't remember. <laughs> I was probably too ecstatic to even know what I was doing. But it I is, hope to God that was true. It is a great fit. <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo is a very solid quarterback in the short and intermediate range. This team is built off of those kinds of plays getting the ball into space, and using Yak. George Kittle is the monster of Yak in the entire NFL, and I expect Brandon Ayuk to be the same. So, Deontay's great, and this is honestly pretty close, which, for how much I love Ayuk, is saying a lot. But I'm taking Ayuk, and to circle back briefly to Debo, one of the reasons that Justin Jefferson was a clear pick for me over Debo is because I do believe that Brandon Ayuk is going to be ahead of Debo in the near future. I think it could happen as early as this year, especially with the Debo injury. We'll see how quickly he comes back to full strength once the season starts. He's supposed to be back around week one. Whether or not he's 100%, we're not quite sure. So Ayuk has an early chance, even as a rookie with this bad camp situation, to prove himself. I think, and it's Ayuk is a guy who can prove himself easier than some of these other guys like Jerry Judy him and Drew Locke have to work out timings and be great with from a route running perspective and the and the offensive system has to be good for him to really show out his talent I don't think he's going to be a guy who shows out the way that he can until he's getting 100 plus targets and they've built a rapport Brandon Ayuk is a guy who is going to get a screen and take it to the house once or twice in the first few weeks, and we're all going to know who he is and what he can do, and it's going to be a huge flash in the San Francisco system, and I think that he's going to cement himself quickly. So give me Ayuk. What say you? Yeah, this this one's really close. I mean, Deontay Johnson led all these receivers that we just talked about in receptions with Mason Rudolph, with Duck Hodges, with bottom two quarterback play in the entire NFL last year unreal what he did with how bad that was 
We talked about how good he could be because of, of his history as a punt returner in college, how that translates pretty well to just being explosive with the ball in his hands and having that vision. Brendan Ayuk, though, man, that's what he does with the ball in his hands. And to me, this is so close. I lean more of the the trust in the short-term offense and long-term. What I mean by that is, like, Big Ben this year, I think, outscores Jimmy G. Mm. However, he's a 38-year-old quarterback coming off of a major elbow surgery, Mm. and Juju Smith-Schuster is an absolute monster, and we have not faded on Juju at all as a podcast. You and I both, as well as John, is is rising on him. So, yeah, as long as Juju's there, I have full confidence that Deontay Johnson will not be the one. With Brandon Ayuk, I have at least a possibility that he overtakes Debo, as the team's wide receiver one. So I lean Ayuk. It's very close. I like both guys. But like you said, the, the hype with Deontay Johnson this offseason is crazy to the point where I'm almost considering trading him away. If the right you know partner in my league comes to me and they're like, I love this guy. What can you give me? Um, the hype is real. So I'm interested in exploring that. But I will say I like him quite a bit. Yeah, I think people okay. are offering are willing to potentially offer mid-range firsts. I would take that. Yeah, I would too. All right. On to the tight ends. We can be, I think, probably pretty quick with these. We have two to talk about, two pairings. TJ Hawkinson, who we saw in week one explode against the Cardinals, then hasn't done much, ended up actually having a pretty nasty high ankle sprain last year, ended the season early. He should be back relatively close to week one this year. Or Cole Komet, who I know you like out of Notre Dame. I do love Cole Komet. He is my favorite tight end in this draft class by a long shot, a whole tier ahead of everybody else. Having said that, this this year's draft class of tight ends is uh, not very good, especially compared to last year when we had Hawkinson, Irv Smith, Noah Fant. It was very good. And Hawkinson was in the conversation with both those other two guys for the best tight end in that rookie draft. Um, I don't remember what we said, Betts. I think I let leaned Fant. Leaned? Is that the proper past tense of lean? It doesn't sound right. <laughs> I want to be able to answer you very quickly because that should be something we know, but I can't. I leaned Fant. That sounds so wrong. Whatever. <laughs> cannot be right. Someone tell us on Twitter if that's right or not. <laughs> Even if I did pick Fant, and I can't remember because it was close, Hawkinson was a 1B, and... That, like I said, class was much better. So even though Cole Komet is the one, 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 no letters involved in this class, he falls behind. And right now with these two situations, I'm just looking at the prospect. Neither of these situations necessarily tells me one thing or the other as far as, you know, where do I want the tight end? Because neither place is necessarily super healthy for a tight end or super bad for a tight end. So I'm going to just default to the prospect and I'm going to take TJ Hawkinson when I like a little bit more. I think both both could easily be elite tight ends within three years, like top four guys that we're talking about in the super class. Yeah, for me, it's definitely TJ Hawkinson, no doubt about it. He was my one last year in my rookie ranks for tight ends. And, um, you know, rookie tight ends take a while. We talked about on the last show. He's got Matthew Stafford locked in, who we have said we like a lot this year and moving forward. He's not going anywhere. Matthew Stafford is still young. I think he's only 31 or 32, something like that. Um, And so he'll be there for several years. For me, that's enough of a tiebreaker here to go with the Lions tight end, who we liked a lot last year, versus a rookie with maybe Mitch Trubisky or maybe Nick Foles or someone else next year. So that's a tiebreaker for me. I lean T.J. Hawkinson. Last pairing here, Noah Fant, who we just talked about a little bit, 
or Adam Troutman. Now, if you're new to Dynasty, you might not know Adam Troutman. He was taken by the Saints. He is a tight end out of Dayton, was insanely productive there, which we don't see that in college often from tight ends. I was really excited about this guy pre-NFL draft because of his college production profile. He does have some injuries in his in his history. He has an ACL tear, among a couple other things. But he lands in the Saints offense. Obviously, we know the Saints have been great, but Drew Brees will probably be done after this year. And so for me, this is no question. It's no offense. We saw him be explosive last year. We saw him have upside in terms of being able to take the ball in his hands and take it to the house, which at the tight end position is not common, um, You know, especially the last several years. It's becoming more common as, as the game develops. But for me, no offense. 10 out of 10 times over Adam Troutman. Yeah. I mean, if we take last year's class and this year's class and smush them together, for me, it's probably Fant, Hawkinson, Irv Smith, and Cole Komet sort of sitting in a little tier together, maybe even with Dawson Knox. Dawson Knox probably is a small step behind them, those two guys. And then there's a big old fat gap, and then we can start talking about Adam Troutman and any of the other guys from last year. Um, it's not it's not even close for me here. I took Hawkinson over Komet, and I like Hawkinson less than Fant and Troutman less than Komet. So it's very easy. Certainly Fant. I take Fant over the, uh, all the tight ends in either of these classes. I do think he has a great future. I really like the athletic tight ends. So give me Fant. Smash that. But by the way, go get Komet, even though we didn't pick him. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I almost didn't even put this last one <laughs> in the show doc, but I was like, we got to compare someone with Fant. The tight ends this year are just not what they were last year. New. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. All right, man, that was a fantastic discussion on some 2019 rookies versus 2020. Listeners, please send us those trade questions that you have. Find us on Twitter at RetroitsFFPod. Find Okada at Matt Okada. John is at DynastyBeard. I am at TheFantasyPT. Of course, check out Patreon. We always got new stuff going up there. Check out the website, ballblastfootball.com. And if you're into redraft and you get ready for your, your draft, go check out the Ball Blast Ooh. Fantasy Football Podcast, yeah, yeah. our partner podcast with Kate and Michelle. They have awesome content coming up for you very soon. Okada, anything else for the people before we close it out? Oh, my goodness gracious. Um, No, I think that's it. I think we covered it. Uh, but if you have redraft questions... Continue to send them to us. Even though we are now fished with the Red Shirts Dynasty podcast and we're going to be focusing on Dynasty, hit us up with your redraft questions on Twitter or, better yet, get in the Patreon Slack because it's popping. In fact, that's that's the final word here. Get in the freaking Patreon Slack. It is the best. All right. On that note, let's close it out. <laughs> Until next time, we are the Red Shirts. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Red Shirts Dynasty podcast. Hit us up on Twitter at RedShirtsFFPod and check out BallBlastFootball.com for all things fantasy football.